The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. All right, it's good to be with you all. I'm Chris Garriott, as Ruth said. Uh, and I do Reformed University Fellowship Ministry at the University of Maryland. And I want to thank this church for so many years of uh, support and uh, encouragement and prayer. Uh, this, at the end of May, we were able to take about 30 students to summer conference in Florida. And uh, a lot of that was scholarship. I think we spent nine or $10,000 uh, of scholarship to do that, but it's worth it because the gospel is proclaimed. We had a girl from Ukraine uh, whose parent, whose dad and brother in the war effort, um, mom and grandmother are now in Spain, uh, who came on that trip. And uh, it's because of churches like you all uh, that we can do that. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, so today we're going to, it's a little bit topical, and I know I'm new, but we're going to talk about uh, friendship, biblical friendship, and the gospel. And you might wonder, well, where does this idea of relationships come from in the first place? Well, it's all, you know, why are we relational people? Why is that such a part of our DNA, right? And it's ultimately because we're made in the image of God. And in the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are in relationship together, eternal, without end. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, together in love, together in communion, together in purpose. And he says, let us make man in our image. And so he created them, the man and the woman. And so relationships in general Uh, Even if you're not a believer, even if you're here this morning and you're thinking about Christianity or you're doubting it or whatever, this idea is deep uh, in in our DNA because that is who God is. God has made us relational people. And so we're made ultimately not for separation, not for independence, but for friendship. And that's why the church is so important and really what we're doing today is so important because... God has put us in community. He doesn't want any lone rangers out there. And we've gone through this COVID period. And we're still kind of going through it, which has separated us uh, incredibly. And so this morning, we're going to look at uh, this biblical friendship of David and Jonathan back in 1 Samuel uh, 18. And we're going to kind of think about even some of the other chapters. We read the David and Goliath story uh, this morning together. And so, um, Eugene Peterson writes this about friendship. He says, friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It's every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Like the sacramental use of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. You know, our culture loves surface friendships, right? Nothing says surface friendship like 1,500 Facebook friends or Instagram followers, right? But friendship 
True friendship is really reflecting God and his intentional love for his people. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So friendship's applicable to everyone in here uh, because that is how God has made us. So let me pray and we're going to look at 1 Samuel 18. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this day, this day to worship you, to look at your word, to sing these songs together, to confess uh, together what we believe. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would be with us, that you would change us as a result of being here this morning, hearing your word and singing these songs and being with these people in fellowship, that God, you would break in and change us. Lord, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So hear God's word. This is right after the David and Goliath victory. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, David, and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of of Saul's servants. This ends the reading God's holy word. I think one of the saddest one-on-ones I ever had was with a girl probably 10 or 12 years ago at the University of Maryland. And uh, she was engaged to be married uh, to one of, the, one of the students in RUF, one of the folks that was involved in our ministry. She was a strong believer from a strong family. I think she grew up and went to a a Christian school, and as she prepared for her wedding, she shared something very, very personal and very deep with me. She said to me, I don't have any close girlfriends to stand with me in my wedding. Who am I going to ask? And I just felt, oh, I just had this picture of the bride and the groom being there, and Nobody, nobody on her side. Uh, wow, that's a sad picture. Why was that the case? You know, for her and, and maybe for you, building close friendships is hard. It takes time. But that aspect had really taken a backseat in her life. She was busy. She was, I'm pretty sure, remember, she was an engineering student, so the STEM classes are hard, right? And uh, she was very busy with that. I think she also commuted, so that's, that's hard to commute and to really find community. You're doing your school and working and all those different things. You, you're pulled apart, and uh, she just never gave the time and the intent, intentionality uh, for those friendships because friendships take time. But guess what? They're not going to show up on your resume, are they? 
Yeah, they don't really show up on your GPA. But I dare say that if you don't have strong friendships and make that an intentional thing in your life, you will have emotional struggles and instability, won't you? Because friendships and relationships are who we are. Because we're made in God's image. And if we don't be intentional about those things in our life, in the life of the church, we're going to suffer. And we're not going to display the image of God and how God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in a, what I would call a mutual admiration society for eternity, loving one another. And this is what God has called us to. But friendships take time. Uh, they take intentionality. Um, during the era of COVID, uh, we all know that relationships have struggled and friendships have suffered a great deal because we've been separated. And the reason why I'm wearing this is because I was around Charlie and also my brother, who was at GPA, and he's got COVID. So hopefully I don't have it, but I <laughs> just want to be safe with you all this morning. But COVID has uh, brought about separation. Jeremy Lineman in a Gospel Coalition article wrote, in 2020, the average American traded 300 hours of in-person time with friends, church members, and neighbors for 300 hours of social media, TV, and internet reading. Okay? Maybe you can relate to that. I know that I can. And so there's a lot of quality time there that's been lost, right, to looking at screens. The Surgeon General called the effects of the COVID pandemic uh, and its emphasis on isolation the epidemic of loneliness. So maybe you're feeling like that. Maybe, uh, maybe you were feeling like that even before COVID happened. So, you know, what are we to be about? Well, the church is really to be about reflecting community, uh, reflecting true love and servanthood. Uh, in another Gospel Coalition article on friendship, the author gave a snapshot of Jesus and his relational connections and his intentionality. And here's some of the types of relationships we see in the life of Jesus. Absolute devotion to his closest friends, the twelve. Intentional pursuit of disliked community members. Think of Zacchaeus and other people. Conversations with those of other cultures, think of the Samaritan woman. Eating with friends, family members, outsiders, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Attending weddings, funerals, and cultural events. Relationships with the poor and needy. And connecting with his friendships to win them. We think of his discussion with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and the Pharisees in general. And so... This is what Jesus is calling us to as his body. And so as we look at the passage today, uh, I'm going to look at four things about friendship, about biblical gospel-centered friendship. And a lot of this stuff is not necessarily my own. Some of it comes from a Tim Keller book on the meaning of marriage, chapter 4. Okay, But he talks about these four aspects. So I'm going to try to bring those aspects and then talk about the relationship with uh, David and Jonathan. So the first, the four things for uh, the four main elements of friendship, common interests, 
Constancy, especially during trial. Transparency and honesty. And sacrifice. Sacrifice. Could someone grab that water right there? I forgot to bring that up. Is that possible? Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take a pause here and drink a little bit of this. All right, much better. So first thing is this. Friendship is about commonality or common interests. And C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, he says that friendship, phileo, is two people shoulder to shoulder looking at a common horizon. In other words, what, what brings you together with a friend? Maybe it's like, man, I love that movie or this artwork or this band or this music or we like to play sports together or do art together. All of those things, right, will bring people together, right? You might not know anybody, but you signed up for softball league and, and you make friends with all those people because you love softball, right? And so uh, this is part of what commonality uh, is, uh, Lewis insisted that the essence of friendship is the exclamation, quote, you too. And he talks about the differences in, the, in that book of the four different types of love or the four different types of friendship. He talks about eros, love, which is like two people standing uh, face to face at one another. But friendship is depicted as two people standing side by side looking at a common horizon. Uh, when we meet another person who shares this thread or this commonality with us, there is the potential for a real friendship. When we meet another person, friendship cannot be merely about itself. It must be about something else, something we share in common. And so as you look at this passage in 1 Samuel 18, uh, what we see is Jonathan is drawn to David after this great victory where he defeats Goliath with the sling and the stone. And it says that his soul was knit to David's soul. A deep sense of connection. What were some of the things? Well, one thing might be they were both warriors, right? Uh, Jonathan, the son of Saul, was part of the army. And now here David is at the front line watching the battle and then becoming this, this uh, free agent, so to speak, who breaks in to the battle line and, and tells Saul, I will fight this Philistine. And you just see this incredible scene of bravery. And, uh, but he can't wear any of the, you know, the armor or anything that Saul gives him because he's not tested them and they're too big for him. And instead he just takes the sling and the stone and he goes out there and he defeats Goliath. This is the greatest underdog story, right? This is what all the underdog stories, even today, they'll say, you know, it's a David and Goliath uh, setting. Uh, and so I think, you know, one of the things, Jonathan is watching all this, right, from the side, and he's just admiring David and his gifts and his faith and his ability to just risk uh, and have this courage and trust in God, and he goes forward and defeats Goliath. I think also, too, we see the fact that they're both believers, that there's this common faith in the Lord. You know, what comes out in that story with David and Goliath is really David's faith, his desire to not see the name of the Lord of Israel being mocked, 
He, he desired that God would be glorified. And Jonathan is attracted to that. Faith and godliness. Uh, they're hunkered down, right? And all of Israel day by day is just getting, you know, blasted by Goliath. And here comes David, who is full of faith. And uh, he can't take the mocking of his God. In chapter 19, 43-47, David says to this. This is like, you know, the first smack talk of the Bible. Uh, you know, you come to me with sword and with spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Faith. Risk. Trusting God. Jonathan loved these qualities in David. And he wanted those for his own life as well. It says he loved him as his own soul. That would indicate that common faith and common love. And so at the climax of their friendship, later on, uh, Jonathan understood that David's David's house would rule over Saul's house. And he says this to him later on in these chapters, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Common faith. Common love for God. Being warriors together. In battle together. David and Jonathan are tied together. And so, friendship, first of all, is built on these common experiences. Now, in the church, for believers, you know, the most common thing that we share is our faith in the Lord Jesus. So this is the beautiful thing about the church. It's not just about like, hey, we both like to play golf, right? Or we both like these movies or, or whatever it is that we like. It doesn't matter any of those things because we are ultimately in common because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are believers. And so it doesn't matter socioeconomic, rich and poor, race, what brings us ultimately together as believers in the power of the gospel is that it, it, the dividing wall has been broken down. And Ephesians 2.11 talks about that idea that Christ has broken down that wall that divided Jew and Gentile who hated one another, had nothing in common, wouldn't eat together, right? And now the gospel has brought them and unified them. And so that's the beauty of the church. We don't even have to have all the other things We've got Jesus as our center to unify us. This is the primary common faith and the, really the foundation for our friendship in the church is that we have this common faith in Christ and He is bringing Jew and Gentile together. He's bringing rich and poor together. Those from different social economics, though different races, all together uh, because of what He has done. And so... As a Christian, we have this. It's beautiful. And when the world sees that, right, that common 
faith and that common love for one another, they're attracted to that. Like, what, what brings you all together? You have nothing in common, right? You know, and, but when they see that those diverse peoples coming together and love one another, and also intergenerational, right? Old and young, that says something powerful to the world that God's love is real. And so this, this also means that we need, you know, we need to be intentional about church. We need to be intentional about our friendships. Uh, you know, small groups, right? Those are places where intergenerational, you know, families, singles, young, old, right, can all be together and share. Young people can learn from the wisdom of old people, right? And old people can learn about all the latest things with the young people, right? Because we have this commonality. But you have to be intentional. And you have to sacrifice your time to be committed to those things, right? They just don't happen. You need to be intentional about those ideas. We tell the students uh, in RUF, you know, that um, I always say it's a miracle to get a college student to church, on Sunday morning. That's a, mir- that's, that's a minor miracle when that happens. But it's so necessary because they need the body of Christ. They need to learn. The second thing friendship is about is constancy. Constancy, especially during times of trial and adversity. Proverbs 17.17 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Friendship is about being there when the going gets tough. It's about serving one another when we're suffering. I was thinking about this old country song, uh, Tracy Lawrence. Okay, this is going back. Uh, You find out who your friends are. He's got this great, it's a great song. He says, run your car off the side of the road. Get stuck in a ditch way out in the middle of nowhere. Get yourself in a bind. Lose the shirt off your back. Need a floor. Need a couch. Need a bus fare. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the cream is going to rise. This is where you really didn't know. This is where the truth don't lie. And then the chorus is you find out who your friends are. Somebody's going to drop everything. Run out and crank up their car. Hit the gas, get there fast, never stop to think what's in it for me, or it's way too far. They just show up with a big old heart. You find out who your friends are when the going gets tough. And as you read through chapters 17 to 20 in in 1 Samuel, you see this growing relationship with David and Jonathan, but you also see trial happen. You know, when David, after David defeats Goliath, there was another country song being played on the Jerusalem radio, and it said something like this. Saul, the women were singing this. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And what happened was Saul became extremely jealous, and to the point of wanting to kill David, who had just saved him and Israel. But Saul was a narcissist, right? And he literally tries to kill David at his house with his spear several times. And uh, 
In the middle of this, Jonathan is his best friend and also his protector, and he is the son of Saul. And Jonathan, time and again, sought to promote David to Saul to basically make him understand how much David was doing for him and that Saul should honor him and serve him and not try to kill him. At first, Jonathan didn't believe that Saul wanted to kill David. But David insisted, and he finally came around. And Saul even tried to kill Jonathan in the process. And uh, there's a great story in this, if you know this story, where Jonathan, uh, where David comes and tells Jonathan that, no, Saul is indeed trying to kill me. And so Jonathan and David set up this test. For three days, he would not be at the dinner where he was supposed to be. David was supposed to be there with Abner and Jonathan and Saul. But instead, David said to Jonathan, tell him I'm going to be away with my brothers in Bethlehem. And so the first night, they have the dinner. David's not there. Saul didn't say anything. The second night, David's not there. And Saul begins to get very angry. And he really goes into a rage with Jonathan. And then Jonathan knew, my father's trying to kill you. And so they had a, a sign, basically, uh, to know what David should do next, if he should come in or leave and flee. And this was the time where he had to flee and began that journey of uh, being in the wilderness. And at the end of chapter 20, you have that dramatic goodbye where Jonathan is shooting arrows beyond where David was, and, and he tells his boy basically what to do. And as soon as the boy had gone, who was retrieving the arrows, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times, and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. And then Jonathan told, or, uh, said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And so we see that in the midst of this trial, in the midst of Saul desiring to take David's life, Jonathan steps in. Jonathan listens. Jonathan understands. And he, you know, advocates for his friend in the midst of this trial. Uh, and so this is what friendship is about. It's about being there in the midst of difficult uh, times. Maybe your friend is sick or maybe your friend has lost a job or whatever it is. Are you checking in on them? Are you texting them? Are you saying, how can I pray for you? Friendship is, is very, you know, is very real. It's not, it's not something way out there. It's calling people, being intentional, talking with one another, checking in on one another. But these things are hard, aren't they? And so, uh, how, do you de- how can you develop constancy? Well, I'm going to emphasize this. Coming here every Sunday is a way to touch base with your friends, right? Going to a small group, right, is a way you can do that. Asking for prayer requests, 
um, you know, trying to pray for them and then follow up and say, hey, how did that go? How was that test? Right? How was that situation at work? Uh, what's going on? Uh, and so real things, um, but being there in the midst of trial, being there, being a constant presence. Third thing is this, transparency and honesty. You need friends that are going to tell it like it is. They're going to be honest with you. People that you're going to let into your life to, to like share your, your sin, share your brokenness. This is what we see here as well. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27, 17, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So friendship ultimately is not just about being a yes man or woman, right? Uh, Proverbs 27, 9, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs is full of good friendship verses. Good wisdom verses about friendship. Friendship and sanctification for the church, for believers, goes together. Uh, We help one another uh, grow in holiness. And that comes often through exposure of sin, not keeping things secret, but like, calling someone and saying, hey, I need help. I'm struggling with this area of my life, right? It means uh, praying for them. It uh, helping each other grow and develop the fruit of the Spirit. The goal of the Christian is to glorify God in every area of your life. And you need friends who are going to help you do that. This is the fellowship. The communion of the saints that we confess. Being together, man, Acts 2, 42 to 47, a good blueprint for the church. One thing that's consistent in there is they're always together. They're eating in each other's houses. They're sharing their goods and possessions when someone is in need. They're with each other day by day in the word, prayer, right? And and at the end of that says, And more and more people became believers because of that. That there was something different about the church. This is why the church grew in the early part of, you know, the Roman history in the the first two centuries. It took over the world. It took over the world because people saw different races, Jew and Gentile, Greek and Jew coming together, loving one another in small groups, in house churches, and that took over the entire culture, the entire uh, Roman culture. It started just from the 12, didn't it? And and so this is what friendship is about, to grow. Um, In the David and Jonathan story, um, David is transparent. and, And doesn't shy away from basically telling Jonathan, hey, your dad is trying to kill me. Now think of that. Think if you had to like say that to your friend. <laughs> your dad is trying to kill me. What? Okay. And, and uh, um, in verse, verse uh, Samuel 20, verse 1, Then David fled 
from Naoth and Ramoth and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Remember, Jonathan just didn't quite believe it. This is a transparent, this is a hard conversation, okay? This is honest. You know, he's basically saying, dude, your father's trying to kill me. I know it. Don't you see it? (laughs) See, David is not afraid to be honest with Jonathan about this very real trial, this very real situation. And Jonathan receives it. And they make that test about the dinner and not being there. And that's what convinced Jonathan that, indeed, my father is trying to kill you. He was trying to kill him, too. So the point is, there must be honesty, there must be transparency uh, for a real friendship, a real gospel-centered friendship. You, you have to bring up the elephant in the room, so to speak, right? Uh, you have to speak into each other's lives. We are our brother's keeper. Um, it must be done with patience and grace. We think of uh, Paul with Peter in the Galatian controversy where Paul goes to Peter and tells him to his face that like, he was not living in line with the gospel when he shied away from eating with the Greeks. Right? That's a great example of, of the disciples dealing with a hard truth. This is what friendship is about. Proverbs says it, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Fourth thing is this. Last thing is this. Friendship is ultimately about sacrifice. It's giving up your agenda to serve another person. It's giving up your time to be involved in their life. It takes sacrifice. And we see that in this uh, story in a bold way. Verse 4, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, And gave it to David. And his armor. And even his sword. And his bow and his belt. And David went out. And was successful wherever Saul sent him. Now, what we see here here is really something remarkable. Not only is Jonathan and David making this covenant. Jonathan is blessing him. but, But Jonathan is giving him his robe and his Sword and his armor. What is going up? What's going on with this? Well, Ralph Davis in his commentary says this. This was significant and a surprising action. Significant because the clothes signify the person and his position. Hence, Jonathan renounces his position as crown prince and transfers, so far as his own will goes, the right of succession to David. He goes on to say, no one in the Near East would ever do that. You didn't transfer your rights to an up-and-comer. You eliminated him. Remember, Jonathan is the son of King Saul. He doesn't know about David being anointed as king. He thinks he's going to be the next king of Israel. So what he is doing here is he is seeing that no, God's favor is with David. He's endorsing David. 
David's the clear threat to his throne, but he's like, no, he abdicates his position to seek David's well-being and to serve David. Another scholar, DeGraff, says, this deed on his part was an act of faith. Only faith makes us willing to be the lesser. Faith comes us to, faith causes us to surrender the rights we pretend to have over against the Christ, who is truly Israel's king. What we see here is Jonathan, in this act, is really foreshadowing the Lord Jesus Christ. He's pointing ahead to Jesus and the gospel. You see, in the gospel, in God's story of salvation, Jesus sacrifices. He lays aside his position. He lays aside his crown, his status in heaven, and he puts on flesh. And he comes to earth in the form of a man, a servant, and he delights in us. And we are his enemies, sinners against him, and we have nothing that he would say, this is worthy. But yet, he transfers all of that to us. In Hebrews it says, for the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that you and I would be highly thought of, righteous in his sight, sons and daughters, forgiven of our sins. Jesus lays aside his robe. His very body is broken. And he takes on the Father's wrath and justice on our behalf so that we would then have his righteous robe upon us so that we would be justified by his blood. See, Jesus lays aside his position, his power, his riches so that we might be rich in his sight. The king becomes the slave so that we might be kings, sons and daughters, kings and queens in the sight of Christ. This is the sacrifice of the gospel. And so where do we get the power to sacrifice and to be a good friend and to take time and to serve people? We can't get that in and of ourselves. That's not going to come from our sinful hearts. It only comes from our heart being changed to know that this king left it all to crown us. That is where we get the power then and the hope and the ability to love one another and to be a friend. Jesus in John 15, the night before he goes to the cross, he says, no longer do I call you servants or slaves, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. This is the beauty of the gospel that the king of all the earth would come and crown us and make us his friends. This is what we have in the gospel. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this story of David and Jonathan and how it points ahead to the beauty of your sacrifice to make your enemies your friends. Lord, we all need help with friendship to be intentional, to serve one another, to be in each other's lives, to 
call each other out in sin, to take the time to be in each other's lives. So Lord, would you change us? Would you make us those intentional people? Would you make this church a place of true friendship, growing friendship, and others would see and know that, man, I want to have a piece of that. And you would grow this church uh, as, they, as they think about community, as they think about small groups and friendship. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.